What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Diet NPO podcast. My name is Zach, and I'll be your host. What's new, people? Well, there's something that's new for me. I actually got married. I got back from my honeymoon in Greece, and I was really involved in a lot of that wedding planning to an extent. So having that wedding planning off my shoulders was such a huge weight off, and I'm definitely feeling refreshed after that. You all know how that feels, right? Planning for the biggest event of your life might not be a wedding, or it might be your giant RD exam that you might be prepping for. And you aren't here just to hear about my personal life. You're here to listen about how I can make you a better RD and make you better at completing this exam. So that's what we're going to dive into today, as always. Now, our trip to Greece really got me thinking and inspired a lot of ideas whenever you go and see another culture. You get to try new foods, you get to really experience that Mediterranean diet, oh, so much olives. Then you get to see other sides of it, such as the habits of that culture that might be different from ours. For Greeks, you could probably argue smoking is one of the biggest common habits that you'll see. We talk a lot about with Americans how obesity is a large influence on our health. It's kind of like our pandemic. But maybe we should kind of focus on other cultures such as Greece. Per the World Health Organization, the top causes of death in Greece are heart disease, stroke, trachea and lung cancer, and COPD. If we just objectively take that as a look compared to the U.S., we're going to see different things, whereas in the U.S. it might be heart disease, stroke, cancer, Alzheimer's being our top contributors. So if you're a dietitian in Greece, you can maybe assume you might see a lot more head and neck cancers and a large amount of pulmonary conditions, and that's what I want to get down to today. The ins and outs of pulmonary conditions, the MNT, and discuss what we as dietitians can do to really help these patients. These diseases can start out in a few different ways and have different etiologies as well. We can group them as being acute or chronic pulmonary conditions. What would be an acute issue, for instance? An example of an acute resp respiratory condition would be like acute respiratory distress syndrome, which we're going to talk about later. A chronic one could be like chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD as we know it. The pulmonary system can make up several different structures that we're looking at, including the nose, the pharynx, the larynx, the bronchii, the bronchioles, and those alveoli ducts and alveoli, where you're really going to need to know the most about the RD exam. You've got to know these functions and kind of know really what the lungs are doing the most, which is respiratory exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide. Having this area healthy is essential to make sure that we retain enough oxygen, get rid of enough carbon dioxide, control our pH, and make sure our muscles get plenty of the oxygen that they certainly need. The real functional components you're going to need to know are those lobes and those branching structures, the bronchus down into the bronchioles, and then within those bronchioles are those alveoli where that gas exchange really takes place. I almost think of them as like adipose tissue cells and alveoli is where the gas exchange is occurring, but on that right area where if someone smokes or has long amounts of lung damage to, to their respiratory system, then those alveoli tend to become damaged and then they're not working as well. If you work with a patient with pulmonary conditions, you can probably recognize a few nutritional concerns that might pop up. One of which is that if your ability to breathe is impacted, their ability to have proper PO intake is probably impacted as well. Secondly, their body is under a large amount of stress due to their disease state. It's requiring greater amounts of protein and greater amounts of calories to help make sure that we're preventing malnutrition and 
maintaining that body mass, certainly. Another concept that I like to talk about when we're getting into this wheelhouse is the concept of RQ, also known as respiratory quotient. It's an area that me and a lot of my students certainly have struggled with, so it should be a good one for us to break down. Our key to the RQ ratio or respiratory quotient is saying how much carbon dioxide that is produced for every one molecule of oxygen that is consumed. There are different macronutrients that when we digest them, when we use them for energy, they're actually gonna produce different amounts of carbon dioxide for every oxygen that it took. If you look at the range of the highest end, which is carbohydrates, carbohydrates have a RQ of 1.0. This is like saying that for every molecule of oxygen that I'm consuming, I am producing a whole molecule of carbon dioxide. Now I'm not necessarily exhaling that carbon dioxide, it's just being produced, think of it like that. Carbohydrates, if we're eating a lot of carbohydrates and we have pulmonary conditions, we're gonna produce a lot more carbon dioxide than we may want to. So that's why we may prefer these patients to eat foods that are a little bit lower on the RQ scale. Things such as proteins, fats, ketones, these are things that are gonna have much lower RQ values compared to that of carbohydrates. For instance, for fats, it's about 0.7, so we're producing less carbon dioxide when we're eating fats. Protein is about, you know, about 0.8, 0.85 or so is what we're seeing. So be, be familiar with that RQ and know how we're gonna apply it to these patients coming up. Let's get disease specific. As I mentioned earlier, acute respiratory distress syndrome is an acute issue of lung damage, acutely caused. Commonly, we would see this in patients with COVID-19. It's decreased pulmonary health as a result from acute illness such as a viral condition like COVID. With these patients, you're gonna see shortness of breath, fatigue, decreased appetite, and hypoxia. What is hypoxia? Well, it's hypo, low, and oxia, which will be oxygen, so low amounts of oxygen. Our goal as RDs will be to meet those protein and calorie needs, so definitely gonna be elevated on those two cases. As they are in a stress condition, we'll have to elevate these things to meet their needs and prevent that malnutrition. You may also see these patients on a ventilator requiring tube feeds or TPN, Pay attention to those type of macronutrients and what you've learned about RQ to really help guide you with what type of tube feeding or TPN you should be providing. Don't want to overfeed them with carbohydrates after all. Another acute condition could be pneumonia. This is a great general term for lung inflammation due to bacteria or viruses. You may, when you were in your internship or in your job, heard of aspiration pneumonia. Aspiration pneumonia is commonly seen in patients who have dysphagia, swallowing issues, where they're actually aspirating liquids into their lungs. And when that liquid gets to their lungs, it's causing this bacterial infection, such as pneumonia. Or COVID pneumonia, that's another example where it's more of a viral condition that is causing them to have this. But even as it is acute, these patients are at great risk for poor nutrition status due to their stressful state. Keep those calories high, keep the protein high, and keep them up in that high nutrition status, watching out for too much carbs there. We're also gonna have conditions that are chronic, such as COPD. Now COPD is a chronic condition, but it actually is broken up into two disease states, emphysema and bronchitis. Each are similar in the fact that it has decreased respiratory function, just different pathologies. 
bronchitis is inflammation of the bronchial area. Itis, inflammation of. It's causing shortness of breath, hypoxia, a lot of phlegm production, those kind of traditional respiratory syndrome. Emphysema is another form of COPD where it's due to chronic damage and decreased function of the alveoli of the lungs. So not those bronchioli. We're looking at the alveoli where that gas exchange really goes down. This will show some traditional respiratory sim sim excuse me, <laughs> symptoms such as shortness of breath, hypoxia, nausea, vomiting, all kinds of conditions. Got to give them both higher calories and higher protein in these cases, especially since it's a chronic condition. We're going to need to jack those calories and protein up. Also got to watch that RQ. We know making sure not to give too much of the carbohydrates, but some other tips that we would give is small frequent meals, consuming liquids after meals, that helps to avoid the fullness you get from drinking liquids, or try to use tube feeding or nutrition supplements to help meet those calorie and protein needs. Cystic fibrosis is the final chronic lung condition that we're gonna to touch on together. And this is the only one as a result of a genetic mutation. You see, there's a gene that is responsible for the transfer of chloride ions that creates sweat, mucus, digestive juices. There's this chloride ion channel that this gene helps with. When there's a defect in that gene or a defect in that ion channel, it makes that mucus very thick, very sticky, because chloride and water aren't able to freely move through that channel anymore. So that's what's causing it to become so sticky. We can diagnose these patients through sweat tests to detect the amount of chloride in their sweat, because the chloride has to go somewhere, and if they're not able to move it out with normal exchange, a lot of times they'll just sweat it out to get that excess out. Some conditions you might see is they're gonna have really rough, very deep, deep coughs, tons of phlegm, weight loss, malabsorption, and general respiratory issues that you would see with someone with decreased respiratory function. What are we gonna do for MNT for these people though? Let's get them high calories and high protein as mal malnutrition and malabsorption is going to be very consistent with these patients. They're having major issues with their digestion because of this mucus, their lungs from breathing, so we need to make sure we're meeting those needs for macro and micronutrients. Additionally, they may need to go on a high salt diet to get extra chloride because they might be losing too much through the sweat in the first place. So that's just another tip that you might take from there. Whew. Take a breath. Be thankful that your lungs work correctly. We've really taken a breath out of these concepts, so let's connect them some, to some PQ, shall we? Number one, which of the following nutrients would have the lowest RQ or respiratory quotient? Would it be protein, carbs, fats, or amylose? Which of the following would have the lowest RQ? Protein, carbs, fats, or amylose? Well, I'm gonna work my A, B, C, and D structure as I'm approaching this. And one that I think is a bad fit is amylose. I don't think amylose is a very good fit because I know that's carbohydrates and um, also amylose isn't considered like a macronutrient. It's more of a, a, a polysaccharide, right? So I'm gonna get rid of answer D, amylose, leaving me with three more answers. Answer B is carbs, and I feel like carbs, again, they're on the higher end of the RQ ratio. So I'm gonna cut those out, leaving me with protein and fats. And from what we learned today, we know that fats will in fact have the lowest RQ compared to any of those other macronutrients. 
fats and ketones, very low amounts there. So fats will be the best for the lowest RQ here. Number two, which diet would be recommended for a patient with COPD? Would it be A, small frequent meals, low calories? B, large meals, high calorie? C, liquids before meals, high protein? Or D, small frequent meals, high protein? Let's start it with A really quick. Small frequent meals, low calorie. Now I think I like the small frequent meals, but does a patient with COPD need a low calorie diet? Hmm, I don't think so, right? Because we need to give them extra calories, so I'd probably rule out A immediately, leaving me with three answers. Answer B, large meals, high calorie diet. Okay, I like the high calorie part, but how do we feel about large meals? Hmm. I don't think a large meals will be a good fit just because we know that the patient is only going to be able to handle small frequent feedings because they're going to get out of breath with eating normally. So I'm going to cut out answer B, leaving with C and D, liquids before meals, high protein. I like the high protein, but I think I want to do liquids after meals because I don't want to make them too full. little questionable there. Or D, small frequent meals, high protein. I think this is my best answer by far because small frequent meals is going to help them from getting too out of breath during mealtime, as well as the high protein is going to help prevent that muscle loss in that case. So I'd say D is my best fit, and it certainly is. Number three, a patient with cystic fibrosis would be at most risk, most risk for A, obesity, B, malabsorption, C, hyperglycemia, or D, hyperkalemia. A patient with cystic fibrosis would be at most risk for obesity. I don't think it's obesity because I think they're generally on the thin side. B, malabsorption, possibly. I'm gonna hold on to B really quick. C is gonna be hyperglycemia. Am I worried about blood sugars with these cystic fibrosis patients? I don't remember mentioning that, so I think I'm gonna rule that out. Or is it D? Hyperkalemia, high amounts of potassium. Did I learn anything about potassium today with this? I don't know, I don't think it's gonna be my best fit. I would say my best fit would be malabsorption because that thick mucus, those ion channels all being impacted is really interrupting their ability to use their digestive enzymes, digestive juices effectively. So I'm gonna go with B, it's my best fit. Wow, how was those questions everyone? I hope you really appreciated those. Um, hope they really fit with your pulmonary weaknesses and kind of made you a better RD today. Now for the good, bad, and ugly. And I'm keeping it good because what's better than chocolate cake, really? I always remember this scene in Matilda, the movie back when I was really little, where the headmaster, as punishment, made this student eat a whole chocolate cake until they got sick. And I remember thinking that that is the best cake that I've ever seen in my life, even with a kid getting sick over it. I remember it being it looking that good. We're trying to emulate that cake in our dining center, but in the gluten-free form. You see, we need more allergy-friendly options, and desserts are a big weakness of ours. We've located a nice King Arthur gluten-free chocolate cake mix. The problem being is it calls for eggs. Now, if we added eggs to it as our binder, that probably wouldn't be very allergy-friendly, so we don't want to use that. Instead, we did some research to see what would be the best alternative. We found certainly like the flax egg, the just egg. Uh, we've seen all kinds of options and we chose to go with applesauce 
as our binder is it can be replaced with, a, I believe it's a quarter cup for every one egg that you can replace out. And what we produced was this soft, decadent, almost a brownie-like cake that was super gooey and super thick, but we didn't want to keep over baking it as the cake was really cracking on the top, maybe due to that lack of a binder. It's not perfect, but it was a delicious treat that you would never guess was gluten-free or allergy-free. But that wraps up for today, everyone, on the Diet NPO podcast. I hope you all grew today as a student. I hope you grew as an RD. Check me out on Instagram. Don't forget to rate and review. And as always, happy studying.